Peace, peace. You know what it is. Shamir S-K-Y-Z-O-O Skazu, live out the borough. And this is the NBA Exchange with my man Dexter Henry. You know how you doing it, man. Log on, tap in. Let's get into it. What's good, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the NBA Exchange. I am your host, Dexter Henry. A lot to talk about. The NBA Conference Finals got kicked off last night. We saw the Heat versus the Celtics. Brian Fonseca is very happy, which I guess kind of makes me happy. But y'all know he goes too far with the Heat. That's a whole nother thing. NBA Draft Lottery was last night. Knicks fans are upset they didn't move on, like my producer Greg. Not happy about it at all. Wanted to move up. We saw the Sacramento Kings move up. Although I think they're a franchise that probably didn't deserve to move up. That's a whole nother story. But it's Wednesday. We're going to talk some NBA with nuance. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, including young stars in showing out in this year's NBA playoffs, particularly on the stage of the conference finals. And look, all of this is happening without LeBron James, which definitely makes my guest part of this program happy today. That is Gerard Hector. You know him from his work for True Hoop, Seven Footers Podcast. He joins me, as always, on Wednesday for NBA with Nuance. Gerard, what's up, man? I'm good, man. Why you got to hit me with the, with the LeBron hate right away from the jump, man? No, 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 no. It's all good. I, I can't. It's not even about the LeBron hate. We're just, you know, some people like the playoffs are better with LeBron. And, and you know, he's not here. They don't know what to do. You know, but we 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 had it. They, they don't know what to do. But I think these playoffs have been absolutely entertaining. Playoffs have been excellent. The ratings have shown it. Um, you know, we'll get into this later. But this is just the natural evolution of the game. It happens all the time, all the time, right? Things evolve, things mm-hmm. change, mm-hmm. players change. You know what I'm saying? Like this, mm-hmm. this, this, this is what goes down from time to time. But let's let's kick this off today. We're talking about uh, these conference finals matchups. Um, you got two really good ones here. You got the Warriors versus the surprising Mavericks. And we'll get to the surprise of the Mavericks being here later. Uh, we talk about this in the context of the Suns not being here as many people expected. And then you also have the Heat and Celtics, which kicked off their game one last night. Uh, you talked about this last night on the Seven Footers podcast. Um, your thoughts on both of these series. I'll have you rehash some of that again here. Mm-hmm. What do you think about both these series and how good they can be? I see these both being long series. What do you say? So I agree with you, Dexter. You know, one of the things we always talk about is the importance and the role of luck in teams winning championships, right? You have to be incredibly good, but you, ha- you, you need some luck to break your way because the margins are so thin. And you look at what's going on in the Eastern Conference Finals. The luck pushed towards Miami Heat's side early in the series. Now it can change, but from the jump, right? We, number one, the, Heat, the Celtics and Bucks went seven games, finished their game seven on Sunday. Right, they had a turnaround in what 36 hours to play again on Tuesday for Game One of that matchup. The Heat were off since Thursday. Another bit of luck. Jimmy, um, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford out for Game One. Horford might be out for Game Two in health and safety protocols. Again, a little bit of luck. But people don't see that when they think of, oh, it's just this team is just better than this team. It's yes, you got to be good, but you need some luck and you need some things to help you along the way. And these early sort of lucky things have moved in the Miami Heat's favor. And we saw it in game one, uh, second half of that game, the Celtics were out of gas. Heat just kind of blitzed them. Jimmy Butler and company went off in the third quarter, and that was that. 
Um, but I do see this being a long series. I still do favor the Celtics, but again, one turned ankle, one person in health and safety protocols, which by the way, mm-hmm. Al Horford, what you doing, man? Gonna cost your team a chance of winning the championship, maybe. Um, these are the things, right? That that matter. Yeah, they do matter. And then on the other side, we got uh the Mavericks, who nobody thought was supposed to be here, going against the Warriors. Uh Greg, our producer, he and I, along with another friend of his, were having a talk in a group chat about this, in which and I think you would support some of this, but I would like to hear more thoughts on this. The, his friend, Fred, said, look, I think the Mavs can win this series. I think they can knock off the Warriors. Uh, I'm inclined to lean towards picking the Warriors, but I do not. And I, you talked about this last night on the betting show. But I am not, I do not think it's crazy to think the Mavs can do this. And wh- why do you think it's not crazy? that the Mavericks could knock off the Warriors here in this Western Conference Finals? Well, first of all, we need to give credit to every team that makes it to the Final Four round of the NBA. We we do this thing in this culture in basketball where it's like championships are nothing, right? Rings culture, which is so stupid. Mm -hmm. It is extremely difficult to win in this league. Extremely difficult. The vast majority of players who play in the NBA will never make it to the Conference Finals, okay? So getting this far is incredible. Now, why can Dallas win? Well, because Dallas has the best player in the series in Luka Doncic. Now, historically, Stephen Curry is the better player, but I don't think anybody would argue this season and this playoffs who was the better player, who's been playing better. It's been Luka Doncic. When you got the best player, you always have a chance. Number two, the Mavericks' defense is a defense that the Warriors will not have faced yet this postseason. Shout out to my Grizzlies who played excellent defense, but not as well as what Dallas is doing right now in terms of shutting off uh, opposing teams. And look, I think Jason Kidd's going to be a bit of an X factor here. Like, he's cerebral as a head coach. He's gotten better. We always give credit to players who can improve. Coaches can improve, too. And he's definitely gotten better over over his first stints in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. His time in L.A. with Frank Vogel taught him a lot of stuff. He's always mm-hmm. been a defensive guy as a point guard and a, one of the great players of all time. I think he's seeing things right now on the floor in ways in which he can, he can help his team. And I – look, this series can go long. And the longer it goes – I think the more it favors Dallas. The other piece about this deck there is our brains do this thing where it's like, oh, okay, I remember this movie. It's starring Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Like, yeah, but well, that movie was three years ago, right? Those players are three years older than they were then. And mind you, they did not win the title in 2019, right? They lost. So just because they're familiar and we know them, that it, we do this automatic thing where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, last time I saw them on the stage, they won. It's like, well, they didn't. And this is a different movie than the one we saw three years ago. Yeah, it is very different. Uh, you and I talked about this the other day and the fact that the Warriors are not the same team as they once were, and particularly not because we're saying that the guys can't do it, but particularly because of the volume of threes, particularly staying St- Stephen Clay, that they shot, uh, shot such a high volume of threes, and what made them so dangerous, they were shooting 43 42%. Mm-hmm. Now those guys are not doing that. Again, not saying that they can't be mm-hmm. dangerous. We're just mm-hmm. saying that statistically speaking and it's shown they are not as dangerous which makes them then a little bit more vulnerable if you look if you look at it in terms of that so yeah i think these conference finals matchups are absolutely fascinating i expect them to be long series gerard um i i think they absolutely will be long series and i think you know it'll be very exciting to see how that goes now when you look at these conference finals and you kind of mentioned you mentioned luca as the best player in the series and then in the other conference finals, you got Jason Tatum, one of the youngest players there, the young players there that could be the best player in that series. I think he is. Um, although Jimmy Butler might have something to say about that. <laughs> we'll get to he that might. later. 
which Brian is seething. So <laughs> take too much love. But these two young guys are shining right now on a great stage. You just talked about it. It is not easy to get to the Western Conference Finals. A lot of NBA players don't get to the Western Conference Finals. Let's act like that is not something to be proud of or an accomplishment. These two young guys being here, how good is it for the league, right, that they have this sort of platform here on these conference finals to show not we knew what they could do, but really seeing what they could do maybe to more eyeballs at this point in the NBA season? It's wonderful for the casual fan, Dexter, and it's great for the NBA. We know this. The NBA is a star league, and the NBA markets individual talent. What happens with that is you have a byproduct where every year after you have a great player like a Michael Jordan, a Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, or what have you, you worry. You're like, crap, who's the next person that's going to fill that void? And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be a next one. It can be a next bunch of ones, right? And that's where we are right now. You know, I've said this numerous times, and I'll say it again. This league is no longer a LeBron James and Kevin Durant league. Now, I'm not saying those guys are done or cooked or washed. What I'm saying is it is no longer the league where they are the dominant two forces front to end and, and dictate everything. This is a Giannis, Jokic, Tatum, Luka, right? It's these guys league now. These 20, I mean, Giannis is 27, but these 25 and under guys, right, who are stepping up and playing on the big stage. And they have LeBron and KD as people to credit for their, their ascension because those are all guys that they watch. They all talk about it. Like, oh, man, used to watch LeBron and KD coming up, blah, 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 all, all that stuff, right? These are guys they emulated their model their games after. And now they're on the big stage showing what they could do. And it's wonderful. I mean, we have young talent all over the league. And I haven't even gotten to the 22 and under class, your John Morantz and, and that crew, right? I mean, so you, it is, the league is in excellent, excellent shape. There is young talent dispersed all over this league. And it, it's wonderful to see. Will one person grab and take the mantra and take hold of it? We'll see. Maybe, and I would also maybe even argue, maybe that person already that has been doing it is Giannis. Yeah. Like, we don't yeah. give him enough credit mm-hmm. in terms of that. Giannis, despite losing, and people make everything, as you said, his rings culture, Giannis was tremendous in that series against Boston. I mean, he was relentless, killing. He's had absolutely no fear, despite some of his limitations as a player, which is something I actually really love about him. He was down a second-best player. Second best yeah, he was without a second-best player, and he showed up, and he kept coming. And that's what – when you usually see things like that, and he's elevating Giannis and the dudes out there, in Milwaukee, when you see stuff like that, that's where you're like, oh, this guy might be the best player in the league. That it, that it went seven games is, is all the proof you need. No Chris yeah. Middleton, it went seven games. It went seven games. So if they had Chris Middleton, Boston might not still be playing right now. Giannis showed me what he did there, elevating that team to that status. That's why I'm like, oh, he's, he's the best player in the game. Yeah, he, he, right? He's that dude. Mm-hmm. He's, he's that dude right now. And now, does he take the mantle and then run with it? How you said, I don't know. But when you look at take the conference finals out of it, we talk about Luca and Tatum on this stage. But when you look at the fact of this entire playoffs, right? And there's been young star after young star doing their thing, right? And and, and been on the showcase. Even in the last couple of years, you had Trey Young sort of breaking mm-hmm, out mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. last year. He didn't do anything this year against the mm-hmm. Heat, but that's fine. You're seeing uh, John Morant, you mm-hmm, mentioned, mm-hmm. Uh, Desmond Bain, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony, Edwards. <laughs> Anthony Edwards, showing up and playing mm-hmm. some really strong games. Carlton Towns, despite mm-hmm. the way he got clowned at times, did have some really good games too. And again, they got on this stage, Gerard, some of them for the first time. 
and you, you were able to see what some of these young guys can do. And let's not even forget Jalen Brown mm-hmm. in Boston mm-hmm. uh, show, showing and doing his thing. As well, to Tyrese Maxey in Philly uh, sh- showing sh- showing Young out. talent all over the place. They're all over. How, when, you look, when you look at that, and you, you see, especially in the postseason, right, just with the value of those young stars and getting that postseason experience, not just playing good, but getting that experience, that's also good for the game, right? Reference points, Dexter. The reason that makes LeBron and KD and Chris Paul and all these guys, these veterans, Steph Curry, et cetera, so good is because Draymond, et cetera, their brains are like supercomputers. There's nothing that they haven't seen that gets thrown in front of them, right? Because they have mm. all these reference points to go back to, right? That, that's, that's what acquired knowledge in life is like, right? You get into a scenario in life and you know how to handle it it's because, oh, yeah, right? You've been through some shit. So you know, oh, yeah, okay, I, I know how to deal with this. But when you're 19, 20, 21, you ain't been through no shit. In the play, you haven't been to the playoffs yet. You don't know how to dissect anything. The more times you do that, it's like, ah, reference point, reference point. So that if you are fortunate enough to be back on this stage again and again and again, you're like, ah, I know how to handle this now. And when you look at someone like Luca, the benefit he has, no, this is, I mean, yes, in his third year, this is his third playoffs, first time he's advanced past the first round, all the way to the conference finals. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy who, as a teenager, played in the Euro League, right? The second best basketball league in the world. Won the MVP of Eurobasket, right? Like, as a teenager in a league full of grown men, he's got tons of reference points, okay? And the NBA Finals, as an environment, as an an overawing stage or the conference finals, that ain't nothing compared to what he went through in in, in Europe, right? If you guys don't know anything about the Euro League, you know, those stands and those opposing are wild. Like just mm-hmm. craziness going on over there, okay? Dodging all kinds of stuff being hurled at you. Like if you can manage that, man, and the NBA conference finals and NBA finals, relatively speaking, it's like a country club, right? Yeah. So it, again, if the Mavericks lose to the Warriors, it ain't gonna be because oh man, Luca couldn't handle the big stage. That ain't, that ain't gonna be the reason. That's not gonna be the reason. Although you know there'll be some people that want to want to put it on there. No, you're right. And and those these young stars getting a taste of that pressure. Uh, not just winning, but the taste of the pressure, the environment, and look, and Gerard's right. The, the environment in the playoffs is definitely different than the environment uh, in the regular season, and so to feel and experience that is a good thing. Now, the playoffs are different. <laughs> we, we absolutely know this, and there's things we can't predict in the playoffs. There's things we just don't know that's going to happen in the playoffs at all whatsoever. And I'm glad. I'm glad you, you kept the. I'm glad you were able to keep the uh, camera on me here. Because one of the things that we did not know, and one of the things we, I think even Gerard maybe did not understand, was that, you know, young teams are trying to figure their way out. And we saw the Grizzlies get eliminated in the last round. We saw the Suns very shockingly get eliminated. Nobody expected that, all right? We saw the, the Bucks obviously got bounced, Sixers got bounced in the last round. But what we didn't do, you know, Gerard loves the Grizzlies. We didn't <laughs> play. We, we, did, we did not pay the Grizzlies <laughs> the proper respect. And on this show, when all the teams get eliminated, you know how we pay them the proper I knew respect. He was gone this. It's a little something like this.
I knew I knew you were gonna do that, man. Fuck out here playing taps on my grizz. Yeah, you, 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 you thought your grizzlies were gonna be immune from taps? I mean, I'm I like, man, it's, it's already been over a week. You out here supposed to pull up some taps, man. Hey, Come look, on, look, man. Look, we, we we weren't on we weren't on uh, on Monday. We weren't able to play taps on the grizzlies on Monday. But Gerard thought he was gonna run and get away. And you, nobody is immune from taps. Hey, listen, Bri- man. Brian, we- I see you. Wa- I see Brian watching the show. Brian, don't let the Heat lose. They get tap played on it too. As, as my man John Moran said, we ain't ducking no smoke. We run up the chimney. I ain't worried about no taps. We back next year. Shout out to the Grizzlies, man. Hell of a season. Hell of a season. Yeah, they they ran they ran up that chimney and got smoke inhalation. That's 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 what happened. <laughs> that's, that's that's what happened there. All right, I, I think Gerard thought he was gonna get away with it. Uh, Although Gerard, Gerard's fired back to me. He's like, did we, they played taps on the Knicks a long time. Ago. I mean, listen, <laughs> taps got played during Bing Bong. All right, that's what that's when y'all had the taps on. Once that Bing Bong thing hit, I was like, yeah, y'all season done, man. Bing Bong to all gone wrong, as I said before. They played the taps on the Knicks a long time ago. All right, back to our regularly scheduled programming. No, but in seriously, seriousness, speaking about the losses in the playoffs and learning from that and young teams obviously can learn from that but the suns <laughs> i was stunned by the suns loss right not because of the suns lost to the mavericks and lucas stepped up and was clearly the best player in that series and also took on the challenge defensively uh that we saw given to him after game two but how the suns lost at home i tweeted this i couldn't remember the last time a team looked that bad in a game seven that was supposed to be the favorites at home. The Suns just looked terrible. Come on, Gerard. Help me out, man. Make it make sense. What went wrong for the Phoenix Suns? I'm going to go on the court. <laughs> I love this clip plan. <laughs> I'm going to go on the court first. Right? I mean, that's, that's how some of the Suns were looking, shooting the ball. Um, Monty did not make adjustments the way Jason Kidd did. And again, Dexter, you framed it perfectly. We know the playoffs are different than the regular season. Yeah. The regular season can kind of fool you a little bit, particularly when you're very successful. And Monty said this after game three. So they had lost game three in Dallas. And he was asked by a reporter about an adjustment. He's like, you know, we're going to look at some things, but we don't want to change too much from what got us here, right? We won 64 games, blah, 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 all that. And it's like, yes, you did. And there is a there's a certain point to where you don't want to just freak out and make a change at the first sign of anything not working right when you've done something well the entire season. However, it is the playoffs. This is a seven-game series. It's a small sample size. When something is not working, you have to be willing to be flexible and change that and not be married so uh, uh, be so intransigent in your ideology, right? Whatever it is that you think, oh, this is how we play, it's like, yeah, that's all well and good, but this is a seven-game series. We lose, we going home, right? So there has to be something there that, that, that shifts. And Monty was not able to make that adjustment the way that Dallas, the Dallas Mavericks head coach Jason Kidd did for his team. So that was that was one thing, X's and O's. Internally, something's going on over there in Phoenix, all right? Like, mm. we know how the season started. DeAndre Ayton didn't get his money. We all thought that could have been a problem, but when they won the 64 games, we're all like, oh, kudos to Monty and Chris Paul for keeping his head on straight, blah, 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 all this stuff. We saw in the third quarter when he got subbed out, he and Monty had to be separated by the assistant coaches. When Monty was asked in the post game why DeAndre only played 17 minutes and he only took five shots, Monty said, it's internal, and you could tell he was mad. No one asked him a follow-up question. I mean, and the way in which they played. Look, 
I'm not saying that Dallas couldn't have won the game. The manner in which they blew them out, right? Like they're not 40 points better than the Phoenix Suns. Like they're just not, okay? Like, but for whatever reason, that's how that game ended up. And that to me says something else is going on over there internally. The other thing that Phoenix has to worry about is, we talked about this, Dexter, as it relates to the youth of the league. Teams that depend on players in their mid to late 30s for significant contributions for winning basketball at the highest stakes tend not to do well. If you just go back and look at the history of NBA champions, how many NBA champions has the best player been someone in their mid 30s? Not many, right? Because that's not how the two to come to mind are the late, uh, the 97 Bulls and the 98, the final. Right. Team, those feature, those two teams. Jordan's right there in his mid thirties. That's it. And that I mean, there's probably there's probably there's probably some Bill Russell. And that might be the great player, greatest player of all yeah. time. Right. I mean, right. but you, you you see what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's just when you have to. And so what happens is you get older, greatness just becomes less and less frequent. It's harder to manufacture. After that game two, where Chris Paul dissected them in the fourth quarter, we're like, man, look at this. Suns and Mavericks ain't got a chance. Mavericks won four of the next five games. Chris Paul had more turnovers and field goals made the rest of that series. And Chris Paul having, we'll get to that in a second, Chris Paul having more turnovers. Since that game, Chris Paul never look, hasn't looked the same. Yeah. He has not looked the same at all whatsoever. Like, he absolutely positively has not looked the same. And, you, you know, you and I talked about this when you came on with me on SO1 in New York Post the other day. I asked you before that game seven, all right, well, what is it? Does Chris Paul have to do it? You was like, look, sometimes it's a little bit of father time, and sometimes you are worn down, and this is what you can see. And we now found out Chris Paul's hurt, but, like, that's also the annual end-of-playoff tradition around Chris Paul, that he is hurt. And I'm not saying that to shade Chris Paul. I'm just saying that in terms of what happens when you get older. It's a fact. Now, now Gerard, you know, and this is why we do the segment NBA with Nuance, a lot of this discourse after this game, and I, I wanted to talk about this, but in a completely different context. Seems like everybody wants to pile on Chris Paul. It's quickly, oh, Chris Paul has blown all these 2-0 series leads, right? Somebody came up to me at work the other day and was like, oh, like, what do you think this does for Chris Paul's legacy? Nothing. He's blown all these leads. And I'm like, yo, the teams he was on blew them leads. Like, y'all be acting like it's just individual stuff when y'all want it to be, right? It, you said no. It does nothing for his legacy. Nothing. Is it? Does this change any of the way you feel about Chris Paul? No. Look at Chris Paul. Does this take away from the greatness of the point guard? I say no. No, he is still the point guard. Chris Paul is one of the greatest point guards of all time. One of the greatest players of all time. NBA 75th anniversary team, all that. I mean, look at his numbers. They speak for themselves. We, talk, we talked about, Dexter, the difference between regular season ball and playoff ball. And I wonder if Brian's still in the chat. And you know where I'm going with this. You know how I feel about teams that depend heavily on small guards, okay? It wears you down, okay? Chris Paul is six feet tall on a good day, okay? There's only so much he can do. He can't grow seven inches come playoffs. He is what he is, right? And as teams wear on that, there are limitations you have when you are six feet tall. That's just the reality of basketball. The rim is 10 feet above the ground, and you're playing against giants, I mean, that just is what it is. And there's only so much Chris can do on a team where he doesn't have enough requisite size around him and is not being picked up by the players around him. He can still do things and help you win and all that. But when he is the most important player in the highest leverage games at that size, 
it is problematic for te- for his teams, right? And you know, this is what you're seeing with 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 Chris and with and with the situation. I don't think it affects his legacy at, at at all in one bit. It's just a matter of he's just small, and I'm a firm believer in small guys can only take you so far. This is still an apex predator league, right? That's just how this league works, and so you you know, and we're seeing it, right? Like. You look at why why does why do the why do the Suns have the Mavericks have a chance? Because they got an Apex Predator in Luca, right? Look at look at the Mavericks or look at the Celtics, excuse me, with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Mm-hmm. Look at look look at the Heat with Jimmy Butler. Like you need these big, again, Apex Predator type players on the wing who can control the game on both ends, not only because of their skill, but because of their size, right? And size still matters in this league. It does, it, and, and, and it will. And again, I, we, we don't have to do this, people. And I, I'm, the only reason I brought this up about the legacy of Chris Paul is so we can actually have this conversation with some nuance here. Every time something happens to a player, we don't have to – I don't think any of this stuff is that dramatic, that it somehow drastically impacts their legacy. We act like there's this Please. impetus doom that's coming down on the player. It's, it's, like, it's so disingenuous. No. Yes, it is. And it's so ridiculous, right? And there's these – these whole conversations in Twitter spaces, I think it's a little bit corny and we just can't look at somebody's greatness to which Gerard alluded to before, right? It's all about rings culture. If they don't win the championship, they're not great. Now Charles Barkley's not great. Now this person's not great. There was this conversation again last week where I forgot who it was that made the point that Charles Barkley has said that he was the second best player on the dream team in 92. And he was. I was like, he was. I he understand was. there were people who were like, this is crazy. And I was like, he was. He was, though. Like, a lot of the other greats that were on there, Bird Magic, I'm talking about in particular, um, past their prime on that were team. past their prime. They were on the decline. It wasn't Jordan was the only player on. better than him on that team. I agree. He knew that. People were acting like Chuck was crazy for saying that. Michael Jordan knew that. Look, yeah. again, we talk about the importance and the role of luck, Dexter. Not only do you have to be very good, you need. Chris Paul has been extremely unlucky, extremely unlucky in his career, right? Like injuries at bad times. That Clippers team that was really excellent, they went six deep. They had nothing else. When you go six deep, well, guess what? Come postseason, you're gassed. You ain't got no no bench. You're not going to advance far, right? Why why does that get placed on Chris Paul and not the roster construction, right? Exactly. Why do we do that? That's not, that's not. And producer, producer Greg brought this up. Imagine if Chris Paul and mm-hmm. David Stern, the late mm-hmm. NBA commissioner, did not interfere and stop that trade to the Lakers. Chris Paul goes to the Lakers with Kobe. They win a title. What are we saying now? That's you see my, what I'm saying? Look, looking at it a lot differently. This, 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 yep. is, this is my point. Like, things that are outside of your control have effect on where these things end up. You win a championship, and it's like, oh, now you got that championship DNA. I tell this story all the time. And I, I, I was talking to Shaq once about this. And... We we're talking. It was the year the Rockets. Um, it was in this right before the playoffs started. The year the Rockets took the Warriors to seven games and should have beat them. And I said to Shaq, "I was like, what do you think about the Rockets?" He's like, "You know, in this infinite Shaq. You know, Gerard. They don't. They don't. They don't have the championship DNA." And I was like, "Well, Shaq, like nobody has championship DNA until they win a championship." You know what? You're right. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, that's my point. <laughs> so you win one more. Like, let's say you go six, seven games in a championship series and you lose. So you don't have championship DNA, but if you won that one more game, you it just these things are so ridiculous, and people don't realize again the margins and how thin they are. Right? It's a bounce of a ball here, it's a turned ankle here. It's but we don't we don't appreciate that, right? Because that's not how the hero narrative works in our brain. The way our brains work is no, 
player X is greater because they can overcome and they shine. That's 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 what we tell ourselves, right? That's also part of the American exceptionalism in our stories and how we define things and how we see ourselves. It's all a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> I agree. I agree, man. Chris Paul is great. Disappointing for the Suns, but Chris Paul is absolutely great. We don't have we don't have to do this. All right. We saw last night Heat and Celtics game one. Uh, how impressed were you by what you saw the Heat did, especially when it looked like the Celtics were controlling this early? They were doing a fantastic job of forcing turnovers, leading this to transition buckets. And then it all changed in the third quarter. That Heat culture was raining down in South Beach. Brian was having a parade in Ridgewood, Queens, and uh, everything was going crazy. What did you? How impressed were you with how the Heat played last night? First of all, I want to say I was impressed with how the Celtics started the game. Again, coming off that emotional seven-game series, they looked excellent the first mm, 20 minutes of the first half, right? Mm-hmm. Those last four minutes, the Heat started, they, they brought the lead back below um, double digits. And then that third quarter, I mean, look, Jimmy Butler was outstanding. I mean, you know, Draymond Green always talks about 82-game players and 16-game players. You know, Jimmy's a 16-game player. He may not look like a top five player over 82 games, but over the most games, 16 games that matter. Oh, mm. he is for sure. One of the five best players in the league. And he does it on both ends of the floor. It, the, it, the way he commands the game defensively getting steals. He blocked Jason Tatum on a three in the corner. Jason Tatum, not Peyton Pritchard. Who's like five foot 11, Jason Tatum, who's six ten. Jimmy Butler got up there and blocked that sucker. And that's just, He's got a want to in him. He's got that dog in him. All the cliche things that we, people like to talk about, but he he's excellent. The Heat were, were great in that third quarter. Something I'm looking, I'm going to keep watching for Dexter is from both teams. Transition is going to be key because scoring against either of these teams' half court set defense looks like a rock fight, like in a rock fight you don't really want to be getting involved in, right? So how can I? And it's not even so much. I mean, yes, transition too, but it's also starting your actions early in the shot clock, right? You ain't we don't we're not waiting until. 12, 11 to start our first action. No, we're getting into our first action at 20 and 19, right? Because again, it's like in the NFL. When a quarterback has a million hours to throw the football, he's going to find somebody because you can't cover that long. That's just that's just how it works. Same thing with the shot clock, right? As good a defense as teams can play, when you got to play 24 full seconds of defense, that just gets hard. When you got to defend multiple actions, that gets hard. So I'm looking to see which teams are able to do that. But I was thoroughly impressed with what I saw from the Miami Heat uh, in game one, doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, now you got to be impressed by what you saw with Jimmy Butler. And last thing before we get to the break is Jimmy Butler has been impressive. It's not just reaction to, reacting to this game one. All playoffs. He's been impressive all playoffs long, looking good. And other day in the A-Hartel podcast, we had uh, the homie Greg Sylvander up. And, of course, it was him and Brian. So it was two heat fans. love fest. <laughs> it was a heat love fest on the show, and I love both of those guys for that. But one of the things Brian brought up, and I think Brian brings up a great point. We know Mr. Fonseca likes the underdog. We 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 know this. We we know he loves the underdog, especially the small underdog, right? He really identifies with that. Your Jose Alvarados, etc. Yes, yeah, but Jimmy Butler, who has had the underdog story, and we spoke about this on the show, he has been killing. And does he get the respect that he deserves? You said he might not be a top five player. He's playing like a top five player in these playoffs. That's for sure, right? He doesn't get the respect he deserves. Is Jimmy Butler underrated here? That's my big question. Is he sort of underrated or underappreciated 
by the larger NBA community. What do you say, Jerome? I would say he's underappreciated by casual NBA fans. Okay. People who watch basketball and who have league pass and who are deep into this do not underappreciate or undervalue Jimmy. But the casual fan doesn't because he's not famous, right? He's not LeBron James. He's not Kyrie Irving. He's not, we don't, we don't know. We don't know about this dude, right? Like the casual fan knows stars and celebrities, right? They know Stephen Curry. They know, right? They know people they constantly see that are ubiquitous that are all over the place. That ain't Jimmy. Jimmy's not that dude, right? We don't see him all the, all the time, but we know because we're deep into this. Oh, he's very much that dude. And when the games again are the highest leverage, he is able to elevate his play. You know, Max Kellerman used to do this thing a while back where he would talk about the different kinds of players, right? Your players that perform at a level in the regular season. Come the postseason, they play dips. Your players who play one way in the regular season, they play the same. And then your players in the regular season who play one way in the regular season, but they elevate come postseason. The list of people who get better in the postseason is very small. Yep. But Butler's one of those dudes. He gets better in the highest stakes game. Luca is someone like that. No, man, when you are a player that can do that, shit. I mean, your, your team's always got a chance. It, you made me think about something. I'm looking for it because I'd seen somebody had wrote. I'm trying to remember who it was. Somebody had wrote an article today um, about Jimmy Butler. And the, the point was being that they kind of alluded to Jimmy Butler's sort of attitude or issues and other stops, to which is something I said on the previous podcast. Well, we got to give Jimmy Butler credit. <laughs> Jimmy Butler was right, right? Like Jimmy Butler was right in Minnesota. He right was in Philly. right in Philly. They were wrong for not choosing him, right? And all the places he's left, which Brian has pointed out many times, all the places he's left, they got worse. Yeah. And he elevated the situations mm-hmm. of the places he went to. Um, I hate using the term winning player, but I'd rather use the term of what Gerard brought up, which is, Jimmy Butler is a player that elevates his game when needs to be elevated. And he does it on both sides of the ball. Right. It's not and just about scoring. Yeah. Not yeah, just yeah. about scoring. Right. He does it on both sides of the ball. And even not even just about the steals or the block shot on Tatum. It's the little things he does on defense, the fighting over mm-hmm. the screens. Mm-hmm. You're watching those things on defense, which is what you should be watching. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that matters. And I think, yes, I'm with you. He does not get the credit that he deserves in that way. Brian will say that, He's not the flashiest star, and that's part of it. I definitely agree with that. The, the, we know the flash sells. It's easier to cut a highlight of somebody doing something really exciting than fighting over a screen. I, the, I the, get the, all that. The, the, the last thing I'll say about Jimmy, too, yes, that's part of it and the flashiness, but it's also this. Jimmy has to be in the right environment for Jimmy to work. And what I mean by that is Jimmy's very much someone who believes in accountability Mm-hmm. And calling someone out when they are not doing their job. That was the problem in Minnesota. That was the problem in Philly. Jimmy has very, very low tolerance for people that do not give the requisite effort that he gives, right, on both ends of the floor and demands that from everybody. And if, you, and if you're not giving it, he ain't going to call you over the side, invite you over to his house for dinner and, you know, Hey, man, let's talk about that. No, he will mother F you in front of the team and, like, get in your face. And that type of behavior does not sit well with everyone, right? Not only players, it don't sit well with some coaches in this league, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can't handle that, then Jimmy's not going to work. And if 
he sees that's not going to happen, he's going to become problematic in your locker room, right? Because then it's too much tension bubbling because the competitiveness in him can't handle it. In Miami, they welcome, they encourage that type of attitude and behavior. So that's why, I mean, as, as I joked a couple of weeks ago, that whole thing with him and Spolcher, I'm like, man, that was some bullshit they did for the cameras, right? Like <laughs> they, that, that, they welcome that there, right? That doesn't bother them. That would, that would fracture most teams. The Heat, that's another Tuesday. Right. Right. That that and, and that is the perfect place for him to do what it is that he does. And that's why this team has a chance to go to the NBA finals. No. Right. And you look at Jimmy and where he's thrived, whether it was in Chicago under Thibs, a uh, guy who's from the Riley tree when he was in Minnesota to a degree under Thibs again and not working out in Philly. Uh, the problem in Minnesota wasn't Thibs. It was the other dudes that were there with him <laughs> um, and Philly sort of the same thing. And so, yes, you think that. But my thing is. Jimmy Butler was right. It was. He's aware. We need to give credit to that, though. Being aware of where you can thrive and mm-hmm. how you can work well, no matter what it is you do, matters. Knowing what doesn't work for you is just as important. Mm-hmm. We somehow put it on the players as like, well, they should be plugged and put in anything and they should just thrive. No, the culture stinks. What player is going to want to be his best there? And if they want to hold the culture of being accountable in a place, I don't think that's a I personally don't think that's a bad thing. Never. Yeah, you can argue about how you want to go about that fine but in terms of actually wanting the accountability to be there nah man not a bad thing for me all right good discussion nba with nuance uh we are going to take a very quick break when we come back we're getting it we're at this time gerard we only got (laughs) one game to talk about yeah in terms of betting one game which kind of makes me sad because it means the nba season is coming to a Mm, close sure uh unless you're a team that was in the lottery then you have excitement about the draft but we got a game to talk about tonight. Mavs, Warriors, how are you going to bet that? Is Gerard going to help you win some money? We will see when we come back on the NBA Exchange. Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over-under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. You can make your picks in under 30 seconds and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the NBA Exchange. All you got to do is sign up now and use the promo code NBAEX. Prize picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep, that's right. They'll match your first deposit up to $100. So join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play Download the Prize Picks app today. All right, welcome back to the NBA Exchange. Dexter Henry, Gerard Hector with you. Um, we're going to talk some betting. <laughs> we got one game tonight, as I told you Mavs versus Warriors. Should be a very interesting series. Game one out in the Bay in San Francisco. You got the Mavericks. If you want the money line on them, plus 176. If you're really feeling good about Luka, might be something you want to do. Golden State Warriors, they are five-point favorites in this one. Gerard, how are you betting on this game? <sighs> you know, it's a tough game one because I think game ones are always feel-out games. And I think for the Mavericks, it's going to be a feel-out game for them because what they're going to experience and what the Warriors do offensively is going to be very different than what they saw Phoenix and um, Utah do. The Warriors have so much motion, so much off-ball movement in their in their offense, and I think Jason Kidd, in many ways, is going to use Game One as a feel-out. Like, okay, let's let me let me really get up close and dissect 
how the Warriors are going to want to run things and do things. So I do think the Warriors actually win this game. Um, you know, but again, I, I predict that the series is going along. I think Dallas could could still win this series, but I see the Warriors coming out on top here in game one. Keep in mind and watch out for the, the amount of turnovers the Warriors have. If they turn the ball over, this game may be closer than you expect. But I, I like the Warriors minus five here. Look for any combination of Steph Curry uh, and Jordan Poole. 25 plus for Curry, 18 plus for Poole. Uh, and the Warriors win if you want to parlay that in, into a single game. Um, on the on the Maverick side, you know, Luka's always on triple-double watch. Uh, look for him 30 plus points. I think that's that's a pretty safe bet. Um, I'll be very curious to see how the how the Warriors decide they're gonna guard Luca. They go straight mm-hmm. up with Draymond, they're gonna go Andrew Wiggins, like what either way, like you know, they're gonna work to screen whoever they want and get the desired matchup. And if Poole's on the on the floor, look for them to hunt Pool every time and try to get him on Luca. Yeah, I'm also very intrigued in this series is what they will do with Luca defensively, right? Like, who do you put him on? It probably makes sense to put him on Draymond. That makes a lot of sense for me there. Mm. But because of the motion of the Warriors, mm. as you mentioned, and all the back cuts and pack picks <laughs> they like to do in, in, in the movement, uh, this is not going to be easy. And this is going to have to be one where Luca's going to have to give a little bit more effort, as coach Jason Kidd has been asking for him, give him two seconds when he's trying to fight over those screens. I'm very intrigued to that. And then how does that also wear him down? Because you said this is a very different kind of defense. Does that hurt him offensively? And you Mm -hmm. might want to watch those numbers when you're betting him. Um, I like you like the Warriors in this game because of what you said. I think there's going to be some shock in the learning for the Mavericks. I think they're going to learn about how they need to adjust to this offense of the Warriors that is very different. Um, Now, there's some things that the Mavericks can do on the perimeter with Dorian Finney-Smith. They have been defending really well. The Mavericks don't really do anything you know unusual in terms of the defensive scheme but they are really good um at you know blitzing and recovering and showing especially with players like dorian finney smith jalen brunson gives a lot of effort on the defensive end fighting over screens i think it's a lot of it is a really good effort and great communication what i see now in terms of betting this game i like the warriors uh minus five i would definitely i definitely go with that i actually feel more comfortable about that than i did about last night's Heat Celtics games in mm. terms of in terms of feel out feel a little bit more comfort there, but I've been really sticking with a lot of player props lately here in the playoffs. Um, and look, I like the role players at home. Jordan Poole didn't play too well and they shoot mm-hmm. the ball that greatly in the last couple of games against Memphis. Look for him to come out here. Maybe see something with him over two threes. That's a nice prop prop there. Oh, Tyler Tyler Hero let me down last night. Mm. Had him for over one and a half threes. He did not come through after mm. his first three, and then he missed his next four. Yeah. Uh, so that wasn't good. I'm not, not trusting him. And then I won't even talk about Bam Adebayo, who I took for a double-double. What, uh, what, what, what did Bam end up with? Like I said, go 18 and, and four. Oh, Bam. Yeah. Ten and four. Come on, Brian. Talk to your boy. Ten and four. Um, in terms of this game with props, I'm with Gerard on this. I love taking Luke over 30 right now. And I feel like watch the line on this because you're going to see a lot of stuff with him. They're going to push this up to 32. You're now starting to see where he's expected to score and get those buckets. You see the lines at 32 and a half for him in terms of that over under. But I might push it because it's going to be interesting to see if the Mavs too were like, yo, let's let him get his. Let's see if these other role players are going to hit difficult shots on the road. And I think that's a good strategy for them. I would not. I would stay away from some of the role players of the Mavericks here on the road yeah. in this game one. Yeah. I do not think Dinwiddie shoots as well as he did in game seven. I do not think Brunson plays as well. But I might look at what the numbers are for Dinwiddie. If you see something around 11, 12 points, maybe I go over. But that's a stay yeah. away from me. Yeah. In terms of the Warriors, um, I really like uh, Steph here. Um, 
Clay, I'm always iffy on because you get him every other game. But coming off some rest is where I might like to play Clay. If you can see him over 17 points or something like that, I say maybe look, look at that as well. I think Jordan Poole bounces back with threes, as I mentioned before. Um, also, look at, look at Draymond Green with the assists. If you can get anything over seven, seven and a half, look at him. He is the person that makes his stuff run. He's handling the ball a lot while the guys are in these actions for a lot of these cuts and these back pits, and he's finding guys really well. He's been getting better with the chemistry now with Stephen Clay throughout the playoffs. So watch him on that. If you can get Draymond Green over six and a half, even seven and a half assists, I might take that over mm-hmm. and look at that there. So that's it for me in this game. I think there's some interesting props uh, here in terms of this game, but I would take that Warriors minus five. I think they find a way. I see them winning by six or more points here. I like the Warriors over the Mavs. Uh, what was your pick for the series, Gerard? How you, how you the series, series man. Uh, I, I can see this going seven, man. And I, you know, I don't believe in team of destiny, all that other bullshit. Team of destiny. You, you know, you know, I don't believe in that crap. But man, there's something about Luca and these guys, and what I think Jason Kidd can do from a scheme standpoint. I'm gonna go out on a limb, man. I'm gonna say Mavericks and seven. Mavericks and seven. Oh, I tell you what. Luca gets to the finals. Oh Lord, have mercy! Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Let's go, be- um, <laughs> and everybody here knows I'm a Luca fan. But some yes, people, oh, we love Luca here. But it's some be- people, Ooh, some people, gonna, some people you never even heard of watching the NBA before are gonna love mm-hmm. Luca. Yeah, and let's just say they don't look like me and Gerard. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine if Luca was American? Oh Jesus Christ! Ooh, <laughs> ooh. Let's just say this: certain people have been waiting a long time for this. They've they, they, they've been waiting a long time, so you know I I I, I get it, but now nah, Luke, could I see it happening? Yes, I, I think it definitely could happen. So we will see. All right, that's it for this edition of the NBA Exchange. Another good one on Friday. We should have a good show. We should be talking some Mavs. Uh, we're hoping for Lauren Gunn, who's been on the show a bunch of times, to join me. I texted with her the other day. She is uh, she's on cloud nine about those Mavericks. <laughs> we, we will talk about that uh, for sure. Uh, we also got a bunch of other stuff to talk about as we head into uh, next week. We are getting closer to the finals. We'll start talking a little bit about player development. As Gerard and I talk about, these teams look to start to uh, build their draft. I'm going to be talking to some people who are at the Combine this week. So that'll be interesting to hear about a lot of the prospects that are out there and, and what's going on with that. Uh, Knicks fans, don't freak out about picking number 11. Just find somebody good at number 11. Find talent anywhere. Anyway, you don't, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to do this. Like, oh, you have to have a top three, top four pick. Do you? I mean, maybe, maybe not, but whatever. You don't have to. Um, so please stay tuned to us. Please follow us on all our platforms at the NBA exchange on Twitter, on Instagram as well. Continue to support us. Also make sure you check out our promotion with our partners at prize picks. Use that promo code NBA EX. They will match your first deposit up to $100. And then you should be following and listening to Gerard. So, you know, y'all could win some money. Win on some money, man. That's how it could work. Also, please check out my man, Gerard Hector, on True Hoop. They do their Bring It In every Monday and Friday. Please check out the guys at True Hoop. Also, we got some more great videos coming up for you with Coach Thorpe there and what he sees inside the game. Henry Abbott dropping the great articles there. Also, please check out the 7 Footers podcast with our homegirl, Jenna Lemoncelli, uh, who also does a great job. And also check out myself. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast for you guys. We had a good one this week. We talked with Greg Sylvander about the heat, and we also talked about the new Kendrick Lamar album, which is really dope. If y'all haven't heard that, go listen to that uh, for sure. Special thanks to our producer, Gregory Alcala, doing a great job 
as usual, all the time. Here's Gerard Hector. It's another Wednesday. He's not mad at me because I played taps on the Grizzlies. He understood what time it was. (laughs) It's all good. He's Gerard Hector. I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace.